Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism, but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with one amazing individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three and is now a practicing attorney in Miami, Florida. Her name is Haley Moss. She graduated with her Juris Doctor from the University of Miami School of Law in 2018 and graduated from the University of Florida in 2015 with bachelor's degrees in both psychology and criminology. Haley is also a renowned visual pop artist and the author of three books. She recently gained national attention with People Magazine, CBS News, CNN, USA Today, and The Today Show. To say this young woman is making a positive impact would just not be enough. Haley continues to prove time and time again that her diagnosis does not set limits on achievements. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for joining us. Just really want to just share your journey from the time that you were diagnosed at the age of three until all of the wonderful things that you're doing now. Can you kind of start off at the ripe old age of three and kind of sharing some of the stories that maybe your parents have shared with you and what that was like? Yeah, sure. Thanks again for having me, Susan. I really appreciate it. And a little bit about when I was diagnosed. So I was nonverbal at age three. So I wasn't talking, wasn't speaking, but I was doing jigsaw puzzles and the like. And I was also kind of a difficult kid. So I was crying and screaming a lot. There's stories about when we took a flight. I don't remember where we were going to or from. But we were on a flight and I was the kid that was crying and screaming and behavior, trying to communicate through behavior. Mm -hmm. And it was so disruptive to everybody on the airplane, apparently, that all the passengers stood up and clapped when we left. I I have plenty of stories like that. And I've heard about getting kicked out of restaurants and being kindly asked to leave from different things because it was just so much behavior and trying to communicate as a nonverbal child. So some of that stuff also led to the diagnosis when we did get that diagnosis when I was three. You have to understand as well is it was a different time compared to now. In 1997, we didn't have the same amount of resources and the same amount of support that we have now. I mean, it's been 20 something years now. So things have definitely changed in the last 20 something years in autism and what's available in our local communities. So I think it's important to keep that in mind is when you first heard it, even my parents are like, We didn't really know that much about this. And back then the information was so scarce. But what happened as well is my parents are super supportive. They are my absolute cheerleaders in everything in life. They are the best. My mom spent a lot of time with me. So we did a lot of floor time. And so basically like therapy through play and kind of meeting kids more where they're at Mm -hmm. and, and engaging them on their level. And we also did speech therapy and the like. I was in mainstream schools when I was four. Mm -hmm. So I got out of special education, started in the regular classroom, and my parents pushed to get me into the regular classrooms as well because I seemed to know what was going on academically, and I also would be able to learn from the typical kids because a lot of even speech at that time as well as echolalia, so kind of repeating what other kids in other places are saying, and it would be good to model from the typical kids. Absolutely. So that was kind of part of the goal of why we wanted to go mainstream, too. Absolutely. Completely agree with that, too. I know my son was in ABA therapy, and he graduated, quote-unquote, graduated his program this last Mm -hmm. September. And he, as well, is very academically advanced and Mm -hmm. made the decision to mainstream him. And even within... 
I would say two months, his speech and language just went through the roof because he was being surrounded with those typical behaviors and the typical speech, mm-hmm. you know, patterns of, of his peers. Mm-hmm. It was amazing to watch. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to remember, too, that things like echolalia and even body language, even if they're not typical, and I realize I still don't model 100% of typical speech and 100% of typical body language either, is that's all still communication. It's not less valid or anything because it's autistic communication. If you get me really excited and I'm really excited and I'm really excited about something and I'm really happy, I will flap my hands. My body does my feelings. And that's mm-hmm. not something that I want the world to take away from me because that's not what neurotypicals do. Sure. I think it's really valuable because I can't explain to you that my body does my feelings and that I feel joy on such a level that I can't contain it to just my voice or a laughter or a smile that my body needs to be physically involved in that joy. And even in having my hands as part of that, it's just a different way of experiencing the world and having that taken away as I see so often with kids that we're trying to also get them in this neurotypical pattern. There's so much that we can learn from the autistic experience as well. And so much as part of our experience that is valid and important and should be celebrated too. It's absolutely, you make such a great point when you said your, your body feels so much excitement and joy that you, it's like you can't contain it. I think that's so Mm -hmm. beautiful. Really? Exactly. It's really just a different way of seeing the world. And that's a lot of what autism I think is. And with my body feeling my feelings, I know that there are people that are like, you shouldn't be doing that with your hands. I'm like, yes, but I can't contain it. It's just that exciting. There's just that much excitement going on. I will jump around. I will flap my hands. And even when I'm at home and my parents see that joy, we know that that's exactly what that means. And it's something to be celebrated and yeah. embraced. And that's just part of who I am. That's, a, that's awesome. You know, growing up through school, did you, how was making friends? You know, did you have like a click, the people that you had hung out with? I hadn't, I feel like generally I had one or two friends at every age and stage. And mm-hmm. I also was always friends with the boys, especially in elementary school and in my younger years, because my interests aligned more with them than the typical girls. So I was really into video games and I wanted to, and I loved getting to play video games and I loved doing all that stuff with the guys. I loved Pokemon. I traded Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I did all that stuff because I found it more engaging and I found it more exciting than Hmm. Barbies or makeup or whatever girls were starting to get into at the time. Sure. So I was always friends with boys. And I also found at the time and when I was younger that their social cues were a lot easier to read. It was a lot less nuanced than girls. And I think exactly when you think of girls and cliques and there's all this like gossip and there's all sorts of other stuff involved. There's all sorts of other social rules associated with girls in school. So being friends with the guys was always a lot easier for me growing up. So I was always friends with like one or two and I, and that was just how it was. And even when I think about college, like my best friend in college was a guy too. And we just had a lot more in common. It was a lot more straightforward and it wasn't a big deal. Like, Oh yeah, you want to like, what do you want? Like, okay, you want to watch TV? It's like, yeah, let's watch TV. It's not like, Oh, well I want to go to the mall. And then I had to sit around and watch them try out stuff and say that something (laughs) looks good if it doesn't. And you don't know how to like navigate that the right way because you don't want to say it looks bad and offend somebody, but you don't want to say it looks good and convince them to buy something that really doesn't look good. Because those are the unwritten like social rules and stuff. And as you know, for people on the spectrum as well, we have a tendency not to filter content and to also be very open and honest in those conversations. So I do. That's also part of why I was friends with a lot of guys growing up. And I think that's something that wasn't exactly typical either. But I do struggle making friends. I still don't have a a ton of friends, but I have a couple people that I'm close with. You can't always make old friends. There are still people that Mm -hmm. I talk to regularly. And then there's people that and I realize that. 
I have friends from all walks of life too. I have friends in this community. I have friends at work. I have different levels of friends. And also as well, my definition of friend has changed and it could be used loosely or not so loosely. So I think that also makes a difference too. Yeah. Oh, wow. You you were so funny. You have such a great sense of humor. I love it. I try to keep it real. I realize that a lot of people try to only show the good things or just highlight the highlight the bad things and it's really just a very colorful experience overall is there are good days there are bad days there are hard things there are easy things and I think that's how it is for anyone really we're all on this human spectrum right yeah and that some things are really hard for some of us some things are really easy for some of us and the things that might be easy for me might be hard for you that doesn't make me less of a person Sure. Oh my gosh, you're so right. You are the author of three different books, and it sounds like from the titles, and I'll share those in your bio, it's exactly what you were going through at the time. You know, middle Mm -hmm. school, a freshman survival guide for college students, and then also a contributor for the Autism Women's Network anthology, What Every Autistic Girl Wishes Her Parents Knew. Mm-hmm. And all of those, I can you describe why you decided to write about those? I did realize when I started writing about middle school, I actually began writing because I spoke at a conference when I was 13, so with the Autism Society of America, and I was on this panel. And on this panel was me, the 13-year-old girl, mm-hmm. and three, three, three men on the spectrum. And they were all a little bit older, if not significantly older than me, and we all had very different experiences in life at this point. I mean... 13-year-old's experience in life is not the same as a 24-year-old's experience in life. I'm 24 now, and I can tell you right now that nine years definitely makes a difference. Sure. So when I was in middle school as well, and even just finishing middle school on that panel, I realized what I had to say really made a difference to the audience, and I was actually approached about writing. I'm like, yeah. And in middle school, I went to three schools in three years. I was not academically challenged. I had struggles making friends. I had all sorts of stuff going on. And middle school is everybody's collective awkward phase. Mm-hmm. If you come to think of it like that, oh, yeah. is that body, bodies are changing, there's braces, there's different things happening in terms of growing up. And it's just kind of an awkward phase for everybody. And for those of us on the spectrum, that transitions generally are really difficult. And the transition from elementary school to middle school is not an easy one either. So I thought, you know what, if I can make a difference in somebody's life by sharing what worked, what didn't work, what I wish I did, and all of that stuff, then sharing my story and everything is worth it. And that's how I still approach things. If one thing I can say can make a difference in somebody's life, then being open about being on the autism spectrum and the life experiences that I have is well worth it. And I can say that I get to do that every day. And sure. that to me is really, really great. But with middle school especially, that's why I started writing in the first place. When I started writing about college, though, I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted to go to college. Education was a value in my family that I grew up with, and I knew that I wanted to make a difference, and college was naturally a step in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. But when I was looking, all the resources out there for people on the spectrum were written by parents and professionals, and that's great, and I understand that we do need parent perspectives, and we do need professional perspectives, but I wanted to hear from somebody kind of like me who went through it and can tell me what what works, what doesn't work, and what's easy and what's not. So Absolutely. I wanted to be that resource for somebody else, that if they're looking into going to college or it's something they're thinking about and they're on the autism spectrum, that they and their families can hear from someone who actually did it. And I think that hearing a perspective from someone who made it is so much more valuable, especially because you know, okay, in real time this worked, not my mom thinks this worked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And I can explain why it worked or why it didn't in more detail. And I, I go through that conversation a lot generally with parent in professional communities that a parent or professional could tell you, yeah, Haley is really bothered by jazz music. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things sensory that's really difficult for me. But only I can tell you why jazz music bothers me. I can tell you that it's the horn or the saxophone or it's the combination of everything all together or it sounds like all the TVs are on at Walmart at the same time. Yeah. Wow. That's so awesome. It's Well, and that's why I started my autism tribe, you know, initially was because I felt very lonely as a parent. So I think mm-hmm. that as many different viewpoints that we have surrounding the autism diagnosis, the better. We can all Mm -hmm. learn from each other. And that's why your input on today's episode is so critical. It's so important that we see things through other people's lenses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's even with the idea of the autism tribe and you saying you were alone as a parent, you're not alone, number one. I tell parents and people on the spectrum this all the time is you're never alone. Mm-hmm. That there is a huge village, and as we know, it takes a village to raise a child, and it takes an even bigger village to raise a child with a disability. But in autism world, you have a really big village that you can really learn from, that you do have other parents, and you do have the autistic teenagers, adults, and other children who have been through this path and who can tell you more about what your kid is experiencing as well. And I think that it's really important for people on the spectrum to be part of those conversations too, and so often mm-hmm. we're left out of them. Yeah. And you have to be diagnosed with autism at the age of three and considered nonverbal and to listen to you speak today, like Mm -hmm. you've been doing this since you popped out of the womb, is just (laughs) amazing to me. The speech therapy that you went through is just, it's incredible. Like how, when did you realize, I mean, you would be an amazing and are an amazing public speaker. So to have the courage and then speak so eloquently, how did that happen? Like, I'm just amazed by it. Lots of, lots of hard work. My, I am very blessed that my mom was able to stay home with me when I was growing up too. So I had a stay-at-home mom. I had a very, my dad is incredibly supportive too. A lot of people hear about my mom, but my dad's also super great and super supportive and super involved. My parents are still together. So everyone is, we're a big, happy family, all three of us. And I think it's really important to not to underestimate the amount of work that went in on all ends is that my parents Mm -hmm. were very involved. We had a great team that was providing services. We had a little bit of everything. And the other thing with me speaking generally that surprises people is I was never afraid of the public, of like public speaking and stuff. So Mm -hmm. probably one of the most, one of these stories that you hear about my childhood that always makes me laugh is when I was five years old, we were at a wedding Mm -hmm. and obviously weddings are a lot, but me being the brave person that I was wanted to give a toast to the bride and groom. (laughs) And for some reason, everybody went along with this. (laughs) <laughs> and it, they, they actually let me give this toast. And apparently it was one of the most memorable parts of the wedding from what I've heard. <laughs> I would and, love and I hear this story and I'm like, I vaguely remember wanting to do this, but I remember everybody has told me this story in different versions over the years. And I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. And I always loved public speaking, even when I was a kid and when I was doing extracurriculars in elementary school, I did acting. Mm-hmm. And act, and I loved being on stage. I loved being around people. And I think acting also kind of taught me a little bit as well about understanding people. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the thing of being on the spectrum as well is not innately understanding people and trying to find out how to approach people from ver- and understand people from different approaches. So a little bit of acting experience through my elementary school years and even what I majored in in college. I My first major was psychology. I picked it because what better way to understand people than to understand the logical ways that the human brain works yes so 
So a little bit of everything. I feel like there's so many different ways to understand and read others, especially when it's not natural that you're able to just hear people say, well, this works that way and you're learning. And then you also understand how learning works and how people think and kind of put that together and also understand acting where expressions might be exaggerated or it tells you in the script how you should be acting and what you should be doing. So Mm -hmm. even things like that, I think all sorts of different ways to learn. And learning, learning is not linear. You're exactly right. I think it takes a ton of different types of therapies. One therapy may not work for another kiddo or, you know, you Mm -hmm. gravitated towards acting and that may not be another child's thing, but Mm -hmm. we're all so different. And I, it's amazing for me to stand back and watch my son. He has, you know, I have this podcast microphone and this is like his new favorite thing is to get online and to record himself singing happy birthday in different voices. It's the cutest thing ever to watch and to listen to him do that. But he's experimenting with his voice at this whole time. So by just him playing with that, he's actually learning. And exactly. so I think it's, you know, your parents and all of the advocates that have been on your side growing up, mm-hmm. it's taken that village. And I like to say that my child has an army of people that really mm-hmm. are fighting for him every single day and finding those strengths of his mm-hmm. that they just continue to feed and nurture. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And even with him trying out the different voices and stuff, it's not always just therapeutic or anything, but it's also just very different ways to get to explore interests. And I was Mm -hmm. interested in acting. It wasn't seen as therapy. Like even like one of the things that I did have is I was, I did horseback riding when I was little too, is that was actually a form of therapy. And it was a great way of expression and getting active. And I know a lot of us on the spectrum have trouble with being active and whatnot too. So that was just part of the approach that we took is we tried different things and also encouraged talents and encouraged things that were interesting to us. So when I didn't want to keep acting, it wasn't because I stopped acting probably in middle school because I switched schools, didn't know the kids, didn't want to get involved with a new group of kids, break mm-hmm. into that scene. I don't remember what the exact reason was, but nobody pushed me to go back into acting because I did it for five years. Right. And I was just encouraged to stick to what I loved. And I loved doing art. I loved to write. I, I did art all throughout high school. I did art throughout college. I wrote for the student newspaper when I was in high school. I was an editor on the paper by my senior year. And if I felt like writing for the college newspaper, which I submitted a couple of columns because I thought that autism issues were never covered, mm-hmm. I was I was encouraged to do it. And I think that's as well as we're fostering talents and we're uncovering them. And I think as parents, that's important is to let them gr- let us grow in those spaces too. It's let us grow along what interests us. So if your son's interested in voice acting or just playing with different voices, that it might be therapeutic, but it also it might be used as a therapy, so to speak. But it also might just be a great way for you and others to explore what makes him happy and what oh, yeah. he's interested in and to let him grow and not to just think of success as this very black and white definition. Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Tell me about your art. You know, you're a renowned artist. What is that? I mean, and your artwork is so good. It's so cute and it's fun. And I know that that you've spent a lot of time nurturing that talent as well. Mm -hmm. Can you share Mm -hmm. about your experience with that? Absolutely. So I've been one of those kids that gravitated to the grandpa cram box ever since they were little. Mm -hmm. And For me, art has always been therapeutic in different ways. It wasn't used to try to get communication or anything. But for me, it was a way to de-stress and to also disconnect because, as you know, school, when you're in school, it could be very stressful having to interact with people, academics, all the whole totality of the situation. 
of school could just be a lot. Mm -hmm. And for me, art was that place that I was able to escape that at the end of the day, or even in art class, I was able to just shut down and just kind of escape into my own world and make things happen. And everything else outside just didn't seem to matter is that's where I had that laser focus, that absolute joy and excitement. Mm -hmm. And I stuck with it all the years too. And something else that I really love about art as well is it has the ability to make people smile and I have the ability to make a difference. So my art is very colorful. It is very fun. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. and that's also part of reflecting who I am because I'm also a very happy person. I love Japanese anime. I love cartoons. I love animation. I love all that stuff. And it's able to kind of combine things that I love. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I really make a point of with my art as well is to give back. So a lot of art of mine gets donated or we split proceeds with different nonprofits and charities helping kids and adults with disabilities in our communities because it's important to give back and what and when people want to own art what better way than to have that smile on your face from something that made me feel better to create and give back at the same time so it turns out to have everybody's happy yeah everybody's happy if we're able to help our community you get to hang something cool on your wall and I had the time of my life creating it (laughs) what a great perspective to have you have given so much of your time in the philanthropy space. I mean, you have received so many honors from different organizations. You've served on boards. My gosh, the list goes on and on and on. I think it just kind of shows that not only are you just an amazing person that you've overcome so much, but that you have such a giving heart. And that's truly something that I just want to applaud you for. You are such a sweet, sweet person. Thank you. I was raised to give back, and I was always raised to be able to give back. Even as a little kid, I remember going through toys and donating them. Is that that was just part of how I was raised? Is that you could be part of someone else's village, you could be helping somebody else, and that there are people who aren't who are not as fortunate as you for whatever reason in life, and that you can help make a difference for them. And knowing that has been a guiding principle throughout my life is I was raised to give back. I was raised to realize that there are purposes greater than myself. Hmm. And having that instilled in me, even as a young kid, I think really definitely changed the trajectory of my life and even influences how I do things today. Even being a lawyer, lawyers have the potential to make a difference in somebody's life every single day. Sure. Absolutely. Well, you've been practicing law for a little while. You just graduated from law school in 2018, so you haven't been out that long, but you're already working. And what has that transition been like for you? And what kind of law do you want to practice? And tell us all about that. I currently practice in healthcare and international law. And honestly, just having a full-time job and not being in school is a huge transition. So it means making new routines and getting used to new things too. So a lot of the challenges that I have are mostly outside of the office. And as we know with autism, a lot of transitions aren't just small. And starting a new job is difficult for anyone, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a capital T transition. So there's all sorts of different things that change. So schedules and planning meals and all sorts of things that go inside with independent living and things that go inside with executive functioning and all of these different things. And it's like, okay, I'm not in school. I don't have class this day, this day, this day, this day. I can't do this. It's like, okay. So, and then you have to think, okay, I still have a, a house. I still have a place of my own. I have things to do. So I realize it's mm-hmm. balancing. It's a lot of figuring things out. And that's kind of where I'm at too. Is establish- it's all about establishing your routine. And as you know, when your old routine kind of goes out the window, it could be a little bit stressful. Mm-hmm. Sure. Especially for those of us on the spectrum that thrive off a of routine. I swear a routine is one of the biggest reasons that even taking the bar exam was not very 
crazy for me is because it was very the biggest battle for a lot of people was establishing a new routine and routine is something I thrive off of so it wasn't very difficult for me to settle into okay you're working from nine to five you are waking up at this time you're having this for breakfast you're stopping at this time for lunch and you're having dinner then and then you go to bed and do it all over again for the next three months yeah like that like that doesn't phase me and a lot of people are like oh my god that's boring that's not like I can eat the same meals, three three meals a day for the rest of my life, and I would probably be okay. Oh, that's my son right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I, I, I can live just on chicken tenders and pizza and not have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is so Alex. Um he yeah, he's a he's a corn dog lover and a chicken nugget lover, so and bacon. Still, still order still order the chicken nuggets everywhere I go. I have no shame. Yeah. Well, so does my sister. E- eating so. is definitely one of the challenges that I still have and I'm not exactly the best eater on the planet and anyone who knows me can tell you this and it's either, depending on who you ask it's either endearing or frustrating. <laughs> but honestly, but honestly everyone knows that Italian food's great anyway, so it helps make my life a little bit easier. Oh yeah. Because there's always some flavor of chicken, and at the very worst, there's always a pizza to default to. <laughs> That's so true. It's, oh. strate- it's strategic eating. <laughs> well, and I don't think I've ever met a cake or something that I didn't like either. So if there's dessert, then at the very least, I can hang out that long. Many of us struggle and spend so much time wondering what we're going to eat that if you have a limited amount of food that you're wanting to eat too, you're just, you're really taking advantage of all of the time saving, you know, right? Mm -hmm. It definitely does make things a little bit more predictable too. And it definitely helps with routine. So I guess it all kind of goes together when you look at it like that. (laughs) It really is perspective. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. Well, tell me. I mean, in perspective, I think it's a lot easier knowing, okay, yeah, I'm probably going to have this for lunch, this for dinner, and I'm going to have this for breakfast before I go to work every day. Great. And then I know when I'm running low, then I can go to the grocery store. If there's something else that I really, really want, then that's taken care of too. Yeah. It's a lot easier than saying, hmm, what am I going to cook tonight? Exactly. Well, well, there's only like literally three things I'm going to want anyway, so hmm, (laughs) real difficult choice there. <laughs> That's I try to have a sense of humor about the things that are hard for me because honestly, if I don't, then otherwise it's going to make you, you're going to feel bad or you're going to question why you're not like everybody else or anything like that. I'm like, you know what? This is part of who I am. I embrace it. I have no shame. I'm proud to be on the spectrum. I'm proud of these things that make me me. There are things that are hard for me and they're going to maybe be hard for me my entire life. That's okay. Or maybe one day I'm going to have the entire. And go be Anthony Bourdain trying foods from around the world. But I don't think I see that happening. But you never know. Sure. You never Developmental know. Developmental disabilities are really interesting like that is that development is not linear from A, A, B, C, D, E. Sometimes you start at Q and then you circle back to A. Right. I, I didn't start tying my shoes till I was 12. That didn't mean I would never tie my shoes. Sure. That's all about great, perspective. It is perspective. Absolutely. Since you graduated from the law school in, in 2018 and finding a job, tell us a little bit about what that experience was like. I know that I have made it a very solid point that I never want my son's diagnosis to precede him in Mm -hmm. anything that he does. It does not define him. It's part of who he is, though. And Mm -hmm. how was that job search for you? Or what did, what was that like? I mean, for me, there's no hiding that I'm on the autism spectrum, which is why when you read about me, you often see a lot of the words openly autistic. Mm -hmm. So basically, 
by virtue of the work that I've done and having been in advocacy spaces for the last 10 years, you can Google my name and it's no secret that I'm on the autism spectrum. No secret there. Everybody's going to know. I can't hide it. If I hide it, I'm lying and everyone knows lying is bad and people like us just don't lie, apparently. <laughs> yeah. or, at least, or at least we're not very good at it. So that's just part of who I am. And take it or leave it is how I see it. If you don't want to deal with it, then you're saving both of us time and not trying to be something that you're not and having me not try to be something that I'm not either. That no matter how hard I try, I am never going to be neurotypical. Mm -hmm. I've accepted that. I'm not trying to be neurotypical. Yeah, there's some coping skills and masking skills that are needed in different social situations and like, and those are exhausting to use, but that's part of life. Mm -hmm. And even with finding a job, I got very lucky that I happened to be at the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. I think. And I met a former lawyer from the, the firm that I'm at just very serendipitously. And they brought me in for an interview after we had a conversation that my managing partner has a son on the autism spectrum too, which helps a lot with understanding and even understanding the importance of neurodiversity in the workplace and the like. Sure. So that I think was a great place to connect to. And right after my interview, I was hired on the spot. Wow. That's awesome. That we just had this connection and understanding and we, and honest, and I feel very valued at work. And I think that's really important. And it's something part of the conversation I want to change too, is because so often autistic people are either unemployed or underemployed. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge problem, I think. And as someone who is lucky enough to be employed in the field that they're trained in, is yeah. how can we help change that? And it's a huge privilege to not only have the educational background that I do, especially Mm -hmm. considering how many barriers are in the way and how many barriers I had to help deconstruct, but also just being employed gainfully in that field so that I am a practicing attorney. I did make it to that point. How can we help break down these walls across all professions? How can we make it that autistic people are accepted in all professions and that even those who are able to fly under the radar and not have to tell their employers mm-hmm. that might have lower support needs, how can we make it safe for them to be able to ask for help if they need it? How can we make these conversations change? How can this be just a fact? Like, yes. Think of other disabilities even as if someone has diabetes, for instance, it's not like a huge deal in the workplace necessarily right. in a lot of contexts. How can we make it so that it isn't a big deal? How can we make it that employers are going to accommodate and that understand how can we get to those points going forward yes well and it's with people like yourself who have shown time and time again that you can be gainfully employed that you have great great strengths and your voice is so powerful and impactful that you bring such greatness to your employer. I'm I'm sure I'm not there. I, I don't I'm not in the office. I don't see you work on a day-to-day basis, but during the 30 minutes that we've been speaking, I can honestly tell you that you are so positive. I love your perspective on things, the way you can laugh at yourself. It's you're just amazing. Thank you. I do try to laugh because I realize it makes things better and my dad always said this to me my entire life too is that everybody's a comedian yeah because that's what my dad does too he helps make people laugh even though that's not part of what he actually does but it's just part of how he goes through life and yeah we learn a lot from the people we're around sure so even being around my parents who are very positive and everything too and even that my autism perspective since I first found out about my diagnosis and they had to sit down with me has always been positive so I never saw autism as the big scary bad thing Yeah. And I never will see it as a big, scary, bad thing because it isn't a big, scary, bad thing. Right. It's all about perspective. That's what it goes Mm -hmm. back to every single time is perspective, not only for the child, but for the parents, for the caregivers, for Mm -hmm. the, the employers, 
you know? Absolutely. And that people on the spectrum are capable of so much and that the limits that are set on us are set by neurotypicals usually is that that's what I say when I say no limits is that there's no limits on what someone else can say that I can and can't do. If we listened to that first doctor that diagnosed me, I would be, I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am today. Sure. That the people who should be setting limits on us are ourselves. Cause at the same time, we know our strengths and weaknesses, right? Right. Everybody kind of knows what's good, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Yeah. But having someone else tell you what you're good at and not good at is a little bit different than you knowing and you are the expert on yourself at the end of the day. You're so true. Well, Haley, I could talk to you for days on end. I know <laughs> me, that. Me, me too. Me too. I'm really enjoying our conversation. I know. You are such a pleasant person to speak with. And I know that it's been such a whirlwind for you here recently with all of the media <laughs> attention. The Associated Press mm-hmm. got a hold of your story. For great reason, because you're just fascinating. So, thank you. CBS made a video like a week ago with everything too, and just even from when I spoke at my law school graduation and all sorts of different videos and things about my story, and it got over 1.5 million views, and that just freaks me out every day. Oh my gosh! Also, my mom and I may or may not have cried every time we watched it. (laughs) Happy tears, of course. Of course, but you know, it's just the oh my god, I can't believe this is real life. I know. Well, you've worked so hard and you've accomplished so much and I know you'll continue to accomplish great things. And I'm so fortunate to have spoken with you and had such a great conversation with you. And I'm just really excited because I feel like you're part of my autism tribe and you have a whole tribe of people here, I know, rooting for you always. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm proud to be part of your autism tribe and you are part of my autism tribe now too great. Well, I'm rooting for you every single day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Always remember that a diagnosis is not a tragedy. It takes an open mind, lots of listening, and asking a ton of questions. Knowledge is power. One type of therapy that works for one child may not work for another. Be open to all types of therapies and don't be afraid to set high expectations. Most of all, unconditionally love your child. Find their amazing strengths and focus on those. Thanks so much for joining my Autism Tribe.